Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to try out something new called Fan Friday. I'm going to bring a special guest on. Today, we have Mark Schindler. We're going to be talking about the silver and black. And then at the very end, maybe the last 15 minutes or so, we're going to do a Q&A slash hot take sesh with Spurs fans. But like I mentioned, we have Mark Schindler of Indy Cornrows and Premium Hoops with us today. How are you doing, Mark? I'm really great, Noah. How are you doing today, man? I'm awesome. I just finished playing tennis. I got a Sonic drink, so my day's going pretty well so far. <laughs> you know what? I've actually never been to Sonic. It's on the to-do list, but uh, as you know, I, I have an unfortunate amount of, uh, of hot food takes that, that don't tend to go my <laughs> way. Uh, currently in the midst of one, I called Cinnabon overrated, and I think it's a fair Ooh. take, but yeah, that's been, uh, that has been hell for my mentions, but uh, no, today's a good day, man. Awesome. And let me ask you, I know this has nothing to do with the Spurs, but is Sonic not like everywhere? Is it not like regional? No, it's in, so I'm in Ohio and it's in Ohio. I, uh, I just have never had the intention to go to Sonic. Uh, it just has never happened for me. I don't know. Like I've driven (laughs) past it so many times and I just never end up there, but, uh, I'll have to, I'll have to make it happen eventually. Yeah, check it out. It's it's good. This isn't sponsored by Sonic or anything, but it's really good. Not the yet. food, really. The, the food. Yes. <laughs> yes, yet. The food isn't good, but the drinks are super bomb. So we'll go ahead and hop into the Spurs stuff. Kai Jones, Trey Murphy, Keon Johnson. They were big names at the Combine yesterday. Kai Jones interviewed with the Spurs. Trey Murphy worked out with the Spurs. And Keon Johnson interviewed with the Spurs. So I, I kind of want to get your your insight because you do a really good job of breaking down prospects. You watch a ton of tape. You have really insightful thoughts about these prospects, about the draft in general. What do you think about those three guys? Maybe order them in sort of a, a tier in case Spurs fans aren't familiar with them. And then kind of give us an idea maybe of what they bring to the table for an NBA team. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the top for me would easily be Keon Johnson out of Tennessee's wing. Kind of like, uh, well, he's, I think he ended up measuring around 6'3 and a half, 6'4 uh, in, out, out of shoes at the combine. Uh, but he's somebody who got to basketball really late. I think he just started up towards the end of high school, played one year at Tennessee. I think a lot of people would throw out the idea. And I, I was talking about this on Twitter a couple of days ago. A lot of people are throwing out the idea that he's just an athlete with, without a lot of tools and he's really raw. I don't really agree with that. He's probably one of the, might be the best at rim finisher in the class right now. Part of that is the amazing vertical. Like, I mean, like you just talked about at the combine, his numbers are insane. I think he had a 48 and a half inch running vertical 
and a 41 inch standing vert, which is just like those two together are crazy. Like I try not to take too much away from combine numbers. It's more like, are they going to meet the, uh, the criteria of what I saw from them throughout the year? And Keon definitely did. He's one of the few guys who I, I expected something like that from. His, his handle's like surprisingly functional considering he's only played organized basketball for like three years. The jumper is definitely a work in progress, but I think we've just gotten far enough in our time in the NBA that we know guys who come in with, with jumpers that need work are going to be capable jump shooters in, in time. So I'm pretty confident that that'll happen with Keon. He doesn't do anything like damning or frustrating with his shot. Like I, I think it's going to be fine. And he's already a, like, I mean, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the class. He's got really good awareness a uh, really good feel for the game, especially on the defensive end. A lot of it's just going to be uh, what what does he become with the ball in his hands? Um, and even then, even if he's not somebody who's crazy impactful as an on-ball player, I think he's going to have a long time in the league. As somebody who can attack second-side actions or uh, just, you know, he, he's going to factor in, in lob plays, be athletic, factor in the transition, uh, and be a positive defender. So I'm really high on Keon. I think he's going to be worth a top-ten pick for sure. And, Based on how everything's going, I mean, he's slipped a little bit, but I- I'm pretty sure that he's going to end up being top 10. Yeah, I kind of agree with your assessment there, especially like with him going top 10. I don't think he's really a realistic prospect for the Spurs, but I also think yeah. if he's there, and you can give me your opinion on this, but if he's there, I don't think San Antonio's sort of glutton of guards should keep them from drafting Definitely someone not. like Keon, because I think, at least from my perspective, and I have obviously I haven't watched as much Keon as you have probably, but just from looking at him, I feel like he has a higher ceiling than most of the other players who are already on San Antonio's roster. And when I look at someone like Devin Vassell, he does I like him a lot. And I, I've been a big Devin Vassell guy since he got to San Antonio, but he's not someone who projects to be like a high usage guy. And Lonnie Walker, I like a lot as well, but he's still got a really shaky handle. He's super inconsistent. And granted, he hasn't really like basically if, if you want to count net last year as, you know, his rookie season, I suppose you could because the first two years he was in the G League, or he was hardly playing at all. But even so, I kind of feel like you, you can't pass up on Keon just because you have, you know, Lonnie or Derek or every other guard on this team. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think uh, I'm still really high on Lonnie Walker. I'm just not sure it's going to happen in San Antonio, uh, given, like, I think DeJounte clearly – I mean, DeJounte and Derek both are ahead of him in the pecking order for usage, uh, and understandably so. So, like, I don't – I just don't know if he's going to get the opportunity to really rep out where he's at with his handle improved this last year, but it's still a lot of it's just decision-making and everything on top of that too. With Keon though, like you're totally right. Like I think the idea that they shouldn't take Keon if he's there just because he might be, you know, in a position, like the way that I always look at it, I think we get really caught up in talking about drafting for fit or drafting the best player available when, when really it's always just about, what is the combination of the two that, that you're most comfortable with? So who is the best player available at your selection that your organization is going to be able to develop at the highest level? I think that's how I always try and look at it. Like the Pacers a couple of years ago took Gogo Bataze, who I think was the best player available at the time. But also you have to look at it too. Like, okay, you have two guys who already struggle to share the court together at the five spot uh, and you're forcing one of them to play the four. And you're drafting a guy who now hasn't even gotten a thousand minutes in his first two years. And that's, you know, that's a little frustrating. Like, I think you have to find avenues to really develop guys. And if you're not doing that at a high level, then, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a poor reflection on, on your player development and organization, in my opinion. Um, so I would agree. Like, I think if, if Keon is there at 12, then the Spurs have to take him. 
And I don't think he will be there. But one guy who really intrigues me is Kai Jones. And mm. I think for me, he has such a wide range of possible outcomes. I think he's another guy who he didn't even pick up basketball until he was 16 or 17. So it's not like he's been playing that long. So it's pretty encouraging seeing his growth curve from, you know, year one at Texas to year two at Texas. But some people may be misled by watching strictly highlights, thinking this guy's going to yeah. come in right away and be this big, impactful player for a franchise. He came off the bench at Texas. And I don't think a lot of, you know, maybe casual fans who followed Texas very casually realize that. So I like him a lot. I think he's got quite a bit of upside, but I also think he's somebody who could end up flopping out of the league if, if things don't go the right way. What do you think of Kai Jones? And would, would you think he's a prospect that San Antonio should seriously take a look at at 12? Or is there other people who you like better? I personally, like, I don't know if I'm I'm there with Kai at 12. Like, I think he's a first-round pick for sure. Like you mentioned, uh, the the highs are really high, but also they just, A, they don't happen super often like you'd want, and also the lows are pretty apparent. I think with him right now, I mean, just to be positive, like, the mobility is, is ridiculous at his size. Like, he's he's not quite Evan Mobley, but, like, in terms of uh, being six foot eleven and moving like a wing, pretty fantastic. But he has a lot to work on in terms of his balance and, and, and body control. And a lot of that will come by getting stronger. Right now, I think he's like 6'11", like 215 or 220. And it shows. Like, he can really get bodied playing against guys who are, are sturdier. And, again, like, that's not huge. You know, rim, like, rim protection, of course, is really important. But it's more so about protecting the rim and less about defending post-ups or anything like that. But it's more like, okay, well... He has the ability, like one of the intrigues for him is like, can he can he take guys off the dribble? And you can see that sometimes in games, but there are moments where, well, not just moments, like a lot of moments where he'll catch the ball in the corner or or off a cut coming from the weak side, and uh, you know he'll he'll put the ball on the floor once or twice, but then he loses his handle because he, he's just like out of, I mean, he bends the wrong way or he's almost too flexible at points, if that makes sense, like. He's just his body's not really like completely caught up with what he's trying to do with his handle, and uh, that shows through a lot. And I think that's going to take a while for him to work on and get through. So I think I look at him almost like uh, he's kind of like I like him probably better as a prospect than Jackson Hayes, uh, but he's not like even then. Like we've seen how long it's taken for Jackson Hayes. I mean, not even like that long, but it took him really like a year and a half to start to find a real footing in the rotation uh, in New Orleans. And I think it could take Kai even longer than that just because he's – well, his flashes have maybe been even better than what Jackson's were at Texas. I think his uh, his floor is a lot more uh, – a lot a, a lot lower than where Jackson's at, at coming out of out of Texas as well. So I think it's, it's a lot of what does that look like. And I also think too like people would probably be like, well, we need to have a, a guy who can come in and contribute early on and what does that look like next to Jakob and – I kind of like it personally, just for me. Like, I don't think Drew Eubanks is a full-time backup in the NBA. I, I think he's more of a third big. Like, I, I don't have anything against him. I think he's uh, he, he was good for stretches, but I think you really saw down the stretch of the season that he couldn't really hold on to the to, to the five spot on his own. I like the idea of bringing in Kai and having him grow behind Jakob, and eventually maybe there's a chance where they could start together, or even you know you don't have to like that's something you figure out moving on. But I do think it's worth uh, worth looking at at 12. But I, I, I would probably have a couple guys over him right now. Yeah, and I agree with you there, especially with – and I, and I love Drew Eubanks. I think he was fantastic in stretches. He did as much as he could with, you know, where he is right now. But 
I don't think Drew Eubanks is preferably your second string big, right? He's yeah. not the second string guy and he's more of that depth guy. And I think the reason San Antonio brought him in for, for a multi-year contract is he's been around the organization for a long time. He's, he's been through the Austin Spurs system. He understands what they want, what, you know, the, what they want from him. So I think they, they value that. Uh, but when it comes to Kai, I think if you're looking at Kai or Drew, I'd rather have Kai long-term. Now we'll move on to the last guy who I wanted to talk about with you here is Trey Murphy. So Trey Murphy is actually someone I, I didn't get much of a chance to watch at Virginia. I know that he came from Rice University as a transfer, but he, it looks like his shooting splits are pretty solid. He's got good length. His athleticism looks pretty solid. But can you tell me a little bit more about him as a player? And, and is what is his range? Like, where do you expect him to fall in this class? So he's someone who started to rise recently um, as more people have gotten around to watching him. I I mean, I wouldn't have him as high as Kai Jones. I think I have him uh, – I actually forgot to rank him on my big board because I didn't get around to watching him until the last couple of days. I've watched his first few games from him. His shot is ridiculously good. Like I think, I mean, just speaking on a shooting splits, this last year was 50, 40, 90 in college, which uh, it doesn't sound like a lot because it's, you know, it's just college or whatever, but at the same time, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty pertinent. He's really shot up because when he was at Rice, he was a guard. I think he was like six, three when he, when he got to Rice. Ended up transferring to Virginia because he had a massive growth spurt, and he's a legit six foot nine now. Um, yeah. So you can see on court, he's still kind of growing into his body a little bit and feeling that out. He's pretty wiry, uh, needs to add strength, but the shot is legit. I have questions about whether or not he's going to be a movement shooter. Like I need to watch more on that to be completely sure. But right now, he's a lights out shooter from from NBA distance uh, from three, which I think I mean that tracks. Looking at just free throw form and his shot form in general, he's great at uh, at at getting into his his uh getting into his shot organizing himself before the shot too which is really important so i'm confident in that i i have questions about being able to take guys off the dribble though like shooting is great but if you can't attack a closeout consistently and make decisions out of there then i just don't know that i want to spend a first round pick on you like he's a guy who i think will probably have a first round pick used on him but i i just i i think that's where my questions are for him he's a bouncy athlete, he can finish at the rim, finished really well at the rim this past year. Part of that's because he's not being asked to self-create at all, but that's more about his handle. Like he's not at a place where you're going to ask him to, to create for himself. And I, I think he's like capable of making fine passes when he, when he has the opportunities to, but it's more so about, okay, is, I mean, the handle is the clear swing skill for him. Is he going to be able to develop it enough to attack closeouts or maybe develops it even more to where he can, self-create for himself a little bit um but right now i'd say he's like pretty strictly a three and d prospect coming in and it's just going to depend on what happens with the handle okay okay and, and so I, I think i got a good understanding kind of what he brings to the table i'll read you five more names and you don't sure. have to give like an in-depth like breakdown of any of these guys just give me an idea of who you like the best out of these so austin reeves macy oteague lj figueroa jordan hall joe Wieskamp, and then uh Yves ponds um which of those guys do you like potentially in the second round for the Spurs. I know that they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA last season. Personally, I like Joe Wieskamp. He had a fantastic game at the Combine. I think today, actually, earlier today. He's, is he someone who is at the top of that list of names, or is there somebody else who I read in that group who you like better than him, potentially at 41? Yeah, it would probably be for me. I would have – I'd probably have Austin Reeves, number one, actually. I've started to watch more of him recently, and he can do a lot with the ball in his hands. He can he can run some pick and roll. Smart decision maker. Pro, uh, definitely a better defender than Joe Wieskamp right now. And he's a confident shooter, which I really like. 
I just like guys who come in with some on-ball equity. Even if that's not their role in the NBA, it's good to have that in your bag. Joe Wieskamp really didn't show that at all. I do like Wieskamp a lot, though. I think I want to see him quicken his release because I think that's going to be big for him. Right now, I mean, he's pretty strictly a shooter, but he can do a lot yeah. off movement, too, which is intriguing. He's got a long wingspan. He's not a good defender right now, but I think he's somebody who can become a fine team defender with time because he has, you know, he's big and he has a wingspan. Like that's that should be enough to to become a good defender if you have the uh, the positioning ability and you, you can just think the game. Um, but again, like it, I think a lot of people are copying him to Duncan Robinson, and it's so different because Duncan <laughs> gets his shot off like, in half the time, and that makes a big difference. Like. If he can't get his shot off quicker, it's going to be hard for him to attack closeouts. It's just going to be – he's not going to command the same kind of respect of the defense. But he's a guy who he's worth taking in the second round to me because I think there's a lot of upside there with him, especially for a team like the Spurs that needs shooting. Like, I I would be very interested in taking Joe Wieskamp. And I think one of the reasons I like Joe Wieskamp is because there's – a certain section of Spurs fans or faction of Spurs fans who are like, you've got to go after Corey Kispert at 12. And I think that would be a mistake. And maybe you don't agree with me, but I think if you can maybe find someone who's comparable, I'm not saying Joe Wieskamp is the shooter that Corey Kispert is, but find someone who brings a similar skill set at a lower pick. I think that would be more valuable taking Wieskamp at 41 than Kispert at 12 for a team like San Antonio. And, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, but San Antonio doesn't have someone who can maximize Corey Kispert's skill set. Like, I don't really think that they have that many great on-ball playmakers. And I just don't really know that having Corey Kispert at 12 is what's going to set this roster up for success long-term. Yeah, th- you make such great points, man. I uh, And I feel similarly. Like, I, part of me is I'm not a big Corey Kispert guy, which is probably part of it. Like, I, I just, I've gotten to a point now where I think shooting is r- relatively overrated in the NBA. I'd so much rather take a shot on somebody who has ball skills, can get to the rim, uh, and you figure out the shot later. Like, I'd rather take somebody like DeJounte Murray because I know his shot was a work in progress, and it still is, but even with the numbers going down this year, he just got more confident with it. He took it a lot more. Like, I'd I'd rather spend four years trying to build up somebody's shot than take a first-round pick on somebody who I'm not really too confident is going to be able to attack off the bounce that often. You, I mean, you have to use this on somebody who can give you on ball creation, or at least the shot at somebody who can give you on ball, on ball creation. I think to, to do anything, unless like if Corey was somebody who like you look at having more of an upside, then I'd, I'd think differently. Um, but I don't. So I would definitely rather take somebody with more, uh, more creation upside with that pick. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I want to transa- transition back towards more first round slash lottery prospects. You wrote an excellent article about James Booknight. I recommend everybody who is in this room, when they're done with this room, check it out. It's, it's great. Now, I, wanna, I want you to give sort of like a, a small breakdown on James Booknight, if you will, and if he really makes any sense for the Spurs, given I, I don't really think he's that on-ball creator, but I do, like you wrote, he's excellent at moving without the ball. Is that something that's valuable enough to the Spurs at 12 that you go ahead and take him if he's on the board? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I... um. Part of me thinks he's not going to be there at 12 or 13 one, because a, a lot's been coming out about him potentially going top 10. I'm not sure how that'll end up working out, but he's really risen up boards over the last month or so. I look at him in terms of somebody who could early on get real reps, uh, doing stuff without the ball in his, in his hands and trying to figure out a role from there. And then, you know, hopefully taking some more on ball reps and develop a creation upside. 
with bench units. Um, so I would love him. I mean, just if you're a top top 13 team, you know, picking in the first round, I think it's worth taking a shot on James Booknight and, and seeing how things translate and work out. Um, even if it doesn't like look perfect coming out or, or, or with the Spurs, I think it, it'd be worth taking a shot on him. Yeah, and speaking of, speaking of things that may not look perfect with the Spurs or may not work out, Ben Simmons has kind of been like the hot-button topic in San Antonio for a little bit this week. I um, saw, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Spurs Twitter was very uh, up in arms about it. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been very uh, polarizing, right? It's been a polarizing topic. But with Ben Simmons, do you – like? I'm looking at it. One, I don't think the fit is great in San Antonio. Like we mentioned it earlier, but – they finished 30th in three-point attempts, 30th in three-point makes, and they finished 25th in three-point percentage, last in three-point rate. I just don't know that adding Bid Simmons to a team like this makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe you can try to build around him, but what, what would it even take to get him? And is it worth it in your opinion? So we definitely diverge there because I think if you had an opportunity to go get Ben Simmons, you have team unless it's of course i mean unless they're asking for a crazy ransom price i i think you have to go get ben simmons if he's available he will be the best player on the team automatically uh yeah i agree your best shot at finding somebody who can develop around it's not even about building around him it's more just this team needs talent it's not that they're not talented but they need top end talent and i think ben would clearly be that guy I know that it, it doesn't fit perfectly with, uh, you know, the team obviously struggles with shooting right now, but I think that's something you just figure out after he gets there. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I think regardless, you have to make that trade happen. I, I don't know who gets sent. I mean, I would have said Derek White last year, but given how everything has worked out injury-wise for him, I'm not sure what his trade value is. Like, I, I don't think it's like totally tanked or anything, but it's been really rough to see him struggle with injuries uh, for the last two years especially considering how much he's improved even just this past year. I don't think DeJounte Murray would be the guy that you send back or, or that Philly would ask back for, considering that, I mean, he, he doesn't present the same issues of Ben Simmons. That's a different, that would be the wrong way to put it. Like I trust DeJounte to attack a closeout or just to, to take a shot and get into the mid range and get to, get into the paint. I mean, you're probably sending back like Devin Vassell and I, I'd imagine draft capital too. I, I'd have to look at more so like, I, I like I'd have to pull up trade NBA or something to pull it out, but you're definitely sending back a pretty hefty amount to get Ben Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I asked you the question, is it worth it? Not because I don't think it's worth it, but there are a lot of fans who think it's, it's absolutely not worth it. They look at this player who had, I guess you could say he had a pretty poor series and he had a, a awful last couple of games closing in the series. Right. But I don't think that like a series is representative of a player at whole all the time. Yeah. And, and I, I'll use this example, like with David Robinson, uh, when, when they faced, and I believe it was, I think it was 95, they played the Rockets and Hakeem Olajuwon dominated MVP David Robinson. And David Robinson didn't put up great numbers in that series. So are we just going to say that David Robinson's a terrible player because he had a bad series against a really, really good team that ended up winning the championship that year? Like to me, I, I'm not saying that whoever you know, beat the Sixers is going to win the championship. That's not what I'm saying, but I don't think you can look at Ben Simmons and go, oh, he's trash. I don't want him. Because I absolutely agree with you that he would be the best player on this team by far. Like even if uh, in some world where you acquired him without giving anyone up on the team, he would still be the best team uh, player on this team. Um, so I guess when I say like who's gone, like who, who could you trade for him? 
I don't know if this sounds like a viable option. Personally, I don't really think it is, but it's one that I've seen kind of thrown out there across Twitter. A sign-in trade for DeMar DeRozan. What, what sort of problems do you feel like that would like pose for Philly? And I, I'm not really sure that they'd be interested. Do you think they would be interested in something like that, like DeMar with draft capital? Uh, it would probably ask me more than draft capital, honestly, just because I think I don't think DeMar answers all the problems for them. I actually think, like, uh, I mean, you and I have talked about this too. I think people really underrate how good of a player DeMar is and yeah. what it's going to look like after he leaves San Antonio. Um, I know it's uh, fun to bring up on-offs. I- I'd also point out how annoying those are and also how <laughs> finicky they are and really don't paint the whole picture. Um, DeMar was clearly the best player in San Antonio this year, even – taking into account his defense, he would be the best playmaker on San Antonio by a mile without, without question. Like, I think the the thing with him is I trust that DeMar is going to take shots. Like he's going to take shots. He's going to get to his spots. And more importantly, he's going to get to the rim too. Like, and, and that opens up so much for the offense. So I think that would do something for, uh, especially considering that Embiid can credibly space. Like, I, I think that does a lot for Philadelphia, but I also think, like there would be questions about like their defense would certainly fall off a little bit without Simmons. Like I don't think that they go from a, you know, the best defense in the NBA to like average. Like I think they'd still be like a top eight or something defense, but it's a, it's a big hit still to lose somebody that good. But I, I do think that they would want more back, especially considering uh, DeMar's age that that always factors in. Yeah. And, and I wrote a big piece on DeMar probably like a month back talking about why I don't think it makes sense to bring him back to the Spurs team. I don't think he really makes sense for their and timeline with you. And it's it, obviously it's not because he isn't a good player. So I hope like everybody who read that, like if you read it, you know that I don't think DeMar is a bad player. I think he was easily the best player on this team this season, but he doesn't make a lot of sense for this team. And I also think using him as like the engine of the offense with how San Antonio was constructed wasn't really conducive to like a winning environment like that team was never going to be better than maybe the seventh maybe eighth seed in my opinion even without all the injuries and the in the COVID situation where there was 40 games in 68 days I still feel confident saying like that's a seventh seed team they just didn't have the talent so one of the last things I want to talk about with you before we kind of move into the fan Friday part of everything is the USA basketball team so another thing that Spurs fans have kind of been interested about is you know okay Pop is having the chance to coach what is now the 12-man roster of Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Booker, Levine, Kevin Love, Adebayo, Green, Holiday, Middleton, and Jeremy Grant. And yeah, one saying, of those is not like the other. Uh, we'll yes. Leave it at that, but yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and so, like, people are saying, well, this is a great recruiting tool for Pop. But I think one of the things I would argue, and maybe you don't agree with me here, but they want to play for Pop, and this is a perfect chance to play for Pop without coming to San Antonio, Right. This is a great opportunity for them to play for him, get some insight, really get some experience with him and play with their buddies. But I don't really think this is a great like recruiting tool that, you know, one of these 12 players is going to come to San Antonio and, you know, when, when they become disgruntled somewhere. Not that they will, but you know what I mean? So do you think that it even really matters that he's the head coach? Does that benefit San Antonio in any way? I'd love to get your, your sort of insight on that. No, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't think it really does anything. Like, I, I love Pop. I think he's a great head coach, obviously, but... I think it's more about like, okay, let's say if, if DeMar was 27 or something and he just re-upped and he's going, he's on the Olympic team and then he's going in and like, I, I'm trying to remember who DeMar is really good friends with. Like, let's say, all right, let's say Kyle's there, uh, Kyle Lowry. Yeah. And he's like, Kyle, dude, you got to come to, come to San Antonio. I know S is in this room. Sorry, bud. Um, but like, <laughs> let's say that that's the thing. Like, 
uh, I mean, that's something where I could look at and be like, okay, that's all right. Maybe that's considered a recruiting tool. Again, like we're not there. I don't know everything that's going to be going on, but I don't think anybody's going to look at it and be like, oh, I want to go play for pop. Like, I just don't really think there are a lot of people who, um, who are going to look at things and be like, yeah, I want to go to San Antonio just to play for Greg Popovich. Yeah, absolutely. And so the last thing I want to talk to you about Team USA is it's a, it's a pretty stacked roster. And I'm looking at it thinking like, who could even be, who would be the starting five on this team? I'll go ahead and give you my sort of like opinion. And like, I don't think that there's necessarily any wrong answers here, but I think you're definitely starting Lillard and Durant. I think there's an argument to me made that you should start Tatum as well. And I like Adebayo, and I also like having Beal in there. Um, I don't know if you would go with a different starting five, but I, personally, I think that's a really solid starting five for for uh, you know Team USA. So I'm really, yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens with it because I am, I mean, like in terms of pure talent, I think I would go with probably a similar starting lineup. But I also would look at it too, um, like what teams are they playing? So like, imagine that make yeah, of course, yeah, like who? I mean, dude, playing Lithuania. For this team is going to be <laughs> tough because it's, I mean Sabonis and Valanciunas are going to be starting at the same time. Like I look at that, like I think it's going to be matchup dependent for sure. Um, but I'd agree. Like yeah, Dame, KD are obvious locks. I do wonder if Beal would start. Maybe probably. I mean maybe Levine starts. I don't know. The only thing I would say about this team is they're kind of bereft of playmaking. Like I mean of course it's easy like top end playmaking. I should say they have good playmakers, but they don't have like I mean Dame's probably the best playmaker on the team, and even then he's not like otherworldly or anything as a playmaker, but I would agree. I, I'd, I'd imagine actually probably Draymond starts uh, alongside Bam or something, but we'll see what it looks like. They actually, no, cause you have to, uh, you have to stagger it because they're the only real two centers on the roster. And, and I mean, Kevin Love, I guess will play. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that I, was a I, sort of a weird addition. But... It was a very weird addition. I don't understand it at all. I don't really think that he should be on the team, but that's, you know, they didn't ask me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't, that's just being blunt. Like there are probably 20 other guys who I would take over Kevin Love on Team USA right now. But again, they didn't, neither here nor there. I actually could see them starting Drew Holiday though, um, just to have more of a traditional backcourt and try and stagger things a little bit more. But yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to watch Team USA, but I'm actually, I'm not even Canadian. I'm more excited to watch Team Canada. This is like the best Team Canada that I've had. To, to witness in my lifetime. So I'm really excited to watch that group. I mean, yeah, Lou Dort, RJ Barrett, Andrew Wiggins, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark. It's not nobody's like, it's a, that's a pretty yeah. good team. Like considering how, uh, how many you're, uh, you're taking, I think it's a pretty solid group. I'm interested to see how America plays though. Cause they have to play a lot better after, uh, was it FIBA a couple years FIBA, ago? FIBA, yeah, 2019, match? they got yeah, seventh place. Yeah, that was place. disappointing. Yeah, so. it was bad. So, it was, Derek yeah. White was on that team, unfortunately, man. Uh, yeah. It didn't look great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it is what it is. We'll, we'll sort of move in now to the, the Fan Friday. So I'll also tell fans. So you can pose a question to me, to Mark, to both of us, or you can give your sort of Spurs hot take. So go ahead and hit the request button to come up on the stage after you give your question. We'll take you down, but if you have a take, we can kind of talk back a little bit, for, back and forth a little bit, and then we'll send you back. And we'll probably do about maybe four or five of these. So if you want to give your take or if you have a question for us, uh, yeah, go ahead and hit that request, and I'll bring you on up. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? I have a question about free agency. There has been rumors about Caliber Jr., and uh, there hasn't been anything about other players. We have a lot of money left in our cap space. Uh, I want to know uh, what players should we go after? Should we go after players who can knock down trees or who can be a good playmaker or 
who can be good good rebounder. What do you guys think? Uh, who we should go after? Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, Mark, you can you can answer if you want, but um, I think at least for San Antonio, there's a lot of holes on the roster. Um, whether that be shooting, whether that be depth in the front court, um, whether that be playmaking. So it, specifically with Kelly Oubre Jr., I don't really know how much sense that makes for the San Antonio Spurs. I know that there was a sort of report that the youngsters were interested in playing alongside him. It was on a website that I'm not really familiar with, so I don't know how much I buy into the report. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know about uh, Kelly Oubre. What about you, Mark? Do you, do you like Kelly Oubre for this roster? Yeah, I actually, so I think Kelly Oubre gets a little too much crap. Like, he's a good player. Um, he's not, like, he's not somebody who I think is going to develop into an all-star or anything like that. I know his efficiency needs some work in some regards. But after that really rough shooting stretch for him last year, uh, I mean, to start the year, he really figured things out and was looking a lot better down the stretch of the year uh, before he, uh, before the season was over. I mean, I like him. He's a solid defender. His off-ball could use some work, but I think a lot of it, too, would just being on a being around Greg Popovich would be fantastic for his defense. I just like the idea of adding – like, versatile forwards are good. Uh, the problem is he's not great as a, as a ball mover. The ball can kind of stick with him a little bit, and that's something that I think would take a lot of time uh, for him to, to figure out and work on. But I also think – if I mean, if you're getting him for, let's say, it's just a little bit over the MLE, like 13 or 14 – like, okay, the, the deal that Marcus Morris got offered and uh, rescinded – that's something I'd offer Kelly Oubre. Like if, if you're doing like two for 30 or something for Kelly Oubre or, or three for three for 42 or something like that, like I'd willingly do that. I think you, this team definitely needs forward depth. I think that was a problem for them this year. He's not an amazing three-point shooter, but he's somebody who will at least take threes um, and can hit them at a credible rate to play defense. Like I think it would be a fine signing. Like ideally the team, I would rather see them go after somebody like Doug McDermott to be completely honest, because I think, I'd rather see guys like – I mean, you want Keldon Johnson to get more on-ball looks. You want DeJounte Murray to keep getting on-ball looks. Same with, with Derek White. Get Devin Vassell some opportunities there. And uh, bringing in guys like like uh, like Doug who could play well off of those guys while also just using his gravity to get more open looks for uh, for them I think would be huge. Uh, but I, I'm like definitely not against Kelly Oubre, but especially movement shooting would be huge for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. We've got Jesse with us. Uh, Jesse, do you have a take? Yeah, I actually have a question. Good to see you on here again, Noah. Um, as far as Becky Hammond goes, uh, I know she's getting interviewed and stuff like that. And how long do you think Pop is going to stay? And do you think you're going to be able to hold on to her to, to take over? And if not, then what are some strategies as far as, like, your coaching situation there in, in San Antonio? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So first off, I, I honestly would, wouldn't be able to tell you exactly how long he'll stay now I know next season will be the last season of his three-year extension he signed a few years ago so I don't know if he hangs around past then right because he's already the oldest coach to ever coach in the NBA so I think he's probably done after that but if Becky's gone I don't know I mean they have Will Hardy on the bench they have Mitch Johnson Uh, maybe they look at Brett Brown or if uh, even if Mike Budenholzer loses his job maybe they reach out to Mike Budenholzer uh, but other than that, I don't know. I think a lot of fans, and myself included, would love to see Becky sort of be the the successor for, for Pop because, again, she's coached uh, this team for, I think it's seven years on the bench now. She won a 2015 Summer League title with them. The guys have been here with her for a really long time from DeJounte and Derek and Lonnie. All these guys have been with her. They respect her. 
and and I think it would be it would it would be great not just for like making history in sports, but I think it would be really good for the organization having someone who's familiar with their values, the systems that they run, and who you know was directly under Pop. So uh, that's my take on it. Now, Mark, I, I don't know if you have a have a different take than I do. I mean, I think I, just my read on Pop is if there's another run in this team, I think that he'll give it a, a year or two. But if they don't really flash anything that ends up being you know, meaningful towards the playoffs. And again, I I think you could be like, well, what does it, what does it mean for them to do? Like, what do you want to see from the Spurs this year? Um, like that, that changes up the entire trajectory. But I do think too, if like, given how this organization is treated things, they always want to try and keep winning uh, as long as, as pop is around. But I also just don't know what that, what that looks like this year, especially if Demar leaves. I, I don't know. It feels like, this could definitely be Pops last year. I don't, I don't, again, I don't have a ton of great insight on that. But with Becky, it really, with how everything's felt, it just feels to me, and again, this is me coming from an outside perspective. I don't have anything reported on this, of course, but it just feels to me like Becky's going to take over when, when Pop leaves. I know she's been looking around and uh, doing well in, in her interviews, but I mean, with how long she's been around the Spurs organization now, it just feels like the job is going to be hers for the taking when Pop retires. And it's felt like he's kind of cultivated her for that job. And especially too, like the, there's nothing bad on her. Like, of course we're not going to see any of that as it comes out. Like, but a lot of it is just, you can really tell the guys respect her and how they talk about her. And the biggest thing to me is too, they don't talk about her like any, anything different. They talk about her just like any other coach, which has been really important to me in looking at how the way that the Spurs have handled everything. But I'm not sure. Again, I mean, given how the NBA moves, we could have a completely different thought process in about a month from now. Yeah, and, and I agree with you there. And and one thing that I would like to throw in here, maybe it doesn't matter at all, but she was also part of, you know, the San Antonio Silver Stars. You know, she's been in San Antonio since 2007. And there's like yep. 14 years of her life have been committed to the city. Um, you know, they have murals of her up in San Antonio. The guys speak well about her. The coaching staff speaks well about her. The city has really embraced her. So it really does feel like she will probably be the successor for Pop. But I can't, you know, you can't guarantee anything. One of the last things I did want to get out of you, Mark, though, is the direction of this team. I I asked Ricky O'Donnell last week. uh, I asked, you know, pretty much anybody who I respect their opinion, like what direction should this team be heading into? Because like you said, you know, if they have Pop, they're going to try to win. They, they just are. There's not going to be a season where they're going to ever tank or you know maybe lose organically, whatever you want to call it. That's just probably not going to happen. But what direction should they be looking to go into with who they have on this roster? I mean, I think right now it's, a, it's kind of a feeling out process. I want to see what this team is capable of doing uh, without DeMar. Because I do think, like as much as I, I love DeMar DeRozan, I feel like based on everything I've seen, uh, reported, seen anything DeMar says. He loves being in San Antonio, especially considering how everything went for him leaving Toronto in a way that he didn't want to. It just has been a really good spot for him in, in San Antonio. I wish the people outside of San Antonio and even in San Antonio, no offense to anybody in the room, I wish people would respect what he's done for San Antonio. I know you can look at it. it I think it's more so on the organization that um, like I would not have personally gone in the direction that they did trying to keep being a, a, a six six seed after after having to trade Kawhi, like I don't I don't think that was great for the organization. I don't think it was necessarily bad for them, but I do think you could point out, okay, well maybe we could have been getting more uh, 
more high leverage, high leverage reps, and also uh, just getting more more looks, getting better draft picks to to get this organization in, into its next direction. But I also think you have to really commend what what Lamar did, what Lamarcus did when they were there together. I know it didn't result in any crazy playoff runs, but I still think there was something real to, to what that team did in the regular season and was able to do getting into the postseason. But that being said, like you have to look at it. Like, all right, can Dejounte Murray be uh, your lead ball handler? I think it's the real question you have in this. He's never been tasked with being that. Like, even even last year, like Demar is the lead ball handler on that team. I don't think he's ever really had the opportunity to just be your quote unquote one A guy handling the ball. I am not sure if there's a playmaking jump in him, but we're not going to know until we see it. I, I think you have to ask the same thing too, like. Can Derek White have a bigger usage? Can Lonnie Walker step in the starting lineup and stay in the starting lineup? What I mean, what does it look like with Devin Vassell in the starting lineup in year two? Uh, are you getting anything out of Lucas Shamanich? Um, like you, like I, I mean, uh, there were there were real flashes. I like Luca. I like Luca's potential. There are real flashes, um, but again, it's like, all right, well, what are we getting out of this group? You have to figure out what you have in all these young players because there are a lot of young players I really like on this team. So I think this year is more – you're going to find out what the direction is this year by the trade deadline, in my opinion. I agree. I agree with you there. And it'll be, it'll be interesting because I think a lot of people in San Antonio are ready to see you know, DeMar move on. I'm in the, in the same boat, but not – again, not because I think he's a bad player, but I do think it'll be interesting to see if Derek, if DeJounte, if Lonnie and Keldon, all those guys, what they can do once he's gone. Because I think you're right. Like we're not going to know what they can do really until they have that responsibility. Now, do I have the confidence that they're going to be able to make those large strides that are necessary? Not really. I really sincerely hope that they prove me wrong, but I, I just don't see it. I don't really see it in them, and that's okay. I think you know that's okay if if they don't make those strides. But it could be a really rude awakening for Spurs fans next year once Tamar is gone. You know, yeah. they could really have a rough season without that guy who, you know, he led them in points per game. He was up there in rebounds per game. He was obviously their, their best playmaker by a long shot. And even if you lose DeMar, you're not like, you're not getting better at, as a three-point shooting team. You're not getting necessarily, you may get a little bit better as a defend, like a defensive team, but I, I just don't think you're going to be that much better without him. I think there's a real potential to be a lot worse without DeMar DeRozan, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. If they end up getting, you know, a top pick, maybe they can figure out, you know, are these guys capable of leading a team or are they more sort of ancillary pieces that might, might make sense next to a real, like, genuine talent who is going to lead your team somewhere, like a Luka or a Zion or a Jason Tatum, something like that. I think that's really, at the end of the day, what's most important for this team is finding a guy who can be that franchise cornerstone. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. That's why, you know, I, I'm, I think a lot of people would be out on Benson's as a franchise cornerstone, but it, regardless, top end talent, figuring out if you have it and if you don't, figuring out ways to get it. So uh, we're definitely in the same boat there, man. Well, I think it's going to be out to do this for the room today. I do appreciate you joining me, Mark. Why don't you let everybody know where they can follow you and, and where they can find your work? Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate you having me on, man. I always enjoy getting to talk. I, uh, you can find me on Twitter at mschindlernba. Um, all my work goes up there. I mean, I always have it posted. Um, you can find – if you want to look for websites, you can find me on premiumhoops.org and also over at Indie Cornrows. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always around. I'm pretty active online. So, uh, so, yeah, you can find me there. Thanks a ton for having me on, man. I appreciate this.
Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you joining me and everybody who's in the room, all my Spurs fans who are going to be listening to this later. Definitely check out what Mark's doing. He's an awesome writer. He's a great basketball mind. And thanks to everybody who tuned in to this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to join us next week on Spotify Green Room at 5 p.m. for another Fan Friday. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everyone up to date with Silver and Black News. So go ahead and check our stuff out. But until next time, guys, take care.